Our Hollywood celebrities are some of the most attractive people in the world. And I have pictures here of Brad Pitt and Reese Witherspoon. And the only reason I do is when I Googled Hollywood celebrities, I was able to find pictures of them that were uh, complimentary, which is easy to do, and very quickly. But as I, was, I had these pictures here for you, I, I want you to look at them. And as you look at them, you're probably looking at their faces. You imagine how uh, perfect their bodies are. And I, I know this is also kind of funny. Uh, us men, sometimes when we look at uh, Brad Pitt, we think, well, just a couple more push-ups and a couple more sit-ups, a nice haircut, and I could look that good. And uh, unfortunately, ladies, I know sometimes there could just be one pimple on your face and then you think you're the ugliest thing in the world. And so I would say this to men and to women. Women, you're much more beautiful than you think you are at times. And men, you are not as handsome as you are that you think you are all of the time. But as I think about these Hollywood celebrities and their good looks, it's amazing to me that really underneath those great looks is a human body that's just like all the rest of us. And our bodies are amazing. Even right now as you are watching, your heart is beating. And because of that, your whole body is working. You're breathing and you're listening with your ears. You're watching with your eyes. And your brain is doing a thousand different things all at the same time. If you heard a noise right now in another room, you could go and check it out. And if you uh, started to fall asleep, you could uh, be poked and wake up. And so our bodies are amazing. It shows me how wonderfully we have been created by God. Our bodies are, are a wonderful illustration of what we want to learn today. We've been asking the question, what is church? Last week we learned that church is God. It begins with Him and our relationship with Him. But church also is body. The Apostle Paul uses this metaphor when he speaks about the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. I love how these children at this uh, summer camp have shown this fact, that we as Christians are the body of Christ. Of course, we're not in Corinthians right now. We are in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul writes this, And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. We are the body of Christ. Why does Paul use this metaphor? He uses this metaphor to teach us three important truths about who we are and our relationship to God. We are the body of Christ because we are united. There aren't little denominations of Christ church and there aren't uh, individual Christians. And even though we have denominations and even though we are over a billion strong individuals, the church is one, one body, all united together because we are all saved by one Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are one. And the body is a great example of that because the body is one, but it's made up of lots of different parts. 
And that's the point Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, that our bodies physically have fingers and toes, eyes, ears, mouths. They're all different, and they all have different places to be, and they have different functions in our body, but it all makes up one body. And so that's true of the church. Each of us have been gifted, and each of us have different talents. We're not all the same, but when we are all together in one body, using each gift interdependently with one another, we do the work of the church. And that's why a physical body is a great metaphor for the church. The third way that Paul uses the metaphor of the church is where we find him speaking in Ephesians. And that is that we Christians have one who is over us, who has authority over us, who is the head of the body. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And this morning we are going to learn why that is so important. But first I want to talk more about our physical bodies. They can do amazing things. One of them is running. Now, anyone who has a, a healthy body and is strong enough can go running. I'm not saying you would want to go running, but your body could do it. If you're running, your body is working like an amazing machine, more than a machine and more than a computer. Uh, your, your brain and your limbs and your lungs and your heart, everything working together to propel you along a path, running, some at great speed. Now, imagine if you were running, and you tripped, and you fell, and you broke your leg. Now, you are no longer the strong, healthy body that you were. Now, you are disabled. I know sometimes we get uncomfortable with that word, disabled. But when I use it, I'm not saying that someone who's disabled is worthless, or someone who is disabled cannot do things or that someone who is disabled uh, shouldn't be listened to or loved or embraced. Disabled, in my mind, simply means that the body isn't working the way that it was made to work. Our bodies are made so that we can run. If we have a broken leg, we can't run. Yes, you can still move. You can use a wheelchair. Yes, you can still sing. Uh, your lungs and your mouth hasn't been damaged. You can do lots of things and still have all the worth that you had when you were running. But you are disabled. With a broken leg, you cannot run. Now, for some people, maybe like this little guy right here, he seems to be happy that he's got a cast on and that he's in a wheelchair. Although I think probably that smile's a little forced and that uh, mom told him uh, to smile. I think most of us, if we were runners who broke our leg, we look more like this guy who seems very discouraged and upset that he's in the hospital and he has broken his leg. I think probably he was skateboarding or something like that when uh, he broke his leg. Why all this talk? about broken legs and disabled bodies. Well, brothers and sisters, right now as the church, as a body of Christ, we are disabled. A church now is completely different 
from how we in our lifetime have done it, and really completely different probably for most of the church's history how it's been done. Again, the fact that we're disabled means this, that we can't do church the way that we're used to doing it. The fact you're watching this worship service is an example of that. We're not gathered together as we're used to doing. Now, does it mean that we can't worship? Of course not. We're doing so right now. We worship God. We minister to each other's needs. We stay connected to each other through phone calls and letters and, and Zoom meetings and iPhones and all the different technology that we have. So church isn't canceled. Church is still moving. God is still working. But the church is disabled. I, I think it's okay to admit that, that we are handicapped at this time. It's like a runner with a broken leg. He can still do lots of things, but he can't do the running. We can do lots of things and still be the church, but we are disabled. I think it's okay to admit that. I think it's okay to be uh, kind of upset about that, that we can't do church the way we used to. But also, as I think about someone with a broken leg, it's not forever. A cast comes off. Someone starts to walk again, starts to run again. And so we as the church are in this time now where we're disabled, still doing the work of God, doing it differently. But there's coming a time when we are going to be able to throw that cast off and to run again. In the meantime, I know as we're discouraged and I know as we are looking for answers, the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1 helps us as we are waiting. Paul prays for the Ephesians. Of course, as he wrote this letter, this prayer was for the actual people there in the first century who were reading this letter. This prayer, though, can be one that we pray as a church today in the 21st century. And in one sense, since this is not only a prayer by the Apostle Paul, it is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit spoke these words. They are a prayer through God for us today. Let's listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 17. It begins this way. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul is praying for these Ephesians. He's so thankful that he's, they have faith in the Lord. He's thankful that they are showing that faith by showing love to their brothers and sisters. Their faith and their love is strong. These aren't Christians who are struggling or stumbling. These are strong Christians. Yet he still prays for them. And the essence of his prayer is this, to know God better. That's what Paul's praying as he asks God to give them a spirit of wisdom and understanding of the knowledge of God. Paul, even though he admits that these Christians are doing well, wants them to have a deeper, stronger, more intimate relationship with God. And what a prayer for you, for me, for our church. It should be a prayer that every church has all the time, every 
individual Christian has to know God better. I could ask you this simple question. Do you know God? Let's think about it this way. Uh, Do you know President Trump and Vice President Pence? I'd say yes. We know them. You see their picture. You know their name. But do you really know them? No, not really. We know nothing about them except for what we hear from the media. So we don't really know them, although we know their names and know their faces. Uh, What about your friends? Do you know your friends? You would certainly know more about your best friend than you would the president. And in fact, if you wanted to take this quiz, you know, you can always take quizzes on the Internet. You find out all the truth when you do that. You can find out how well you really do know your best friend. And even though you know your friend better than you know a stranger or know better than a celebrity, still the most intimate relationship among humans is husband and wife. And so how well do you know your spouse if you're married? Uh, Apparently these two, I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Maybe they realize they don't know each other as well as they thought or they know each other too well. But for those of you who are married, isn't that true? that you know a lot about a lot of people, you have best friends that you know very well, but the person that you know the best is your spouse. And that's how God has designed us. That's how God has made us. And in fact, Paul uses that relationship between a husband and wife as an example of how we should know God. You see, I'll give you a, a hint of what's to come In Ephesians 5, here's a spoiler of what Paul says there. In Ephesians 5, he says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, Paul is saying as close as a husband and wife are, that's how close we should be to God. As close as a husband and wife are, that's how close we should be to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how much we should know Him. Not know Him in the sense of knowing about Him. Not knowing Him in the sense of knowing some facts about Jesus' life. But knowing Him by having a personal relationship that begins with faith in Christ for our salvation, but continues to grow day after day after day. And you might ask, how can I know God better? How can I be closer to God? How can I know Him more intimately? Really, it's very simple. It's the same way that we know each other better. How do you know your friend so well? How do you know your spouse so well? It really is very simple. It's spending time with each other. It's talking to each other. It's sharing life together. That's how we get to know each other. And that's how we get to know each other better. Why do you know your spouse so well? Because you talk to each other all the time. You spend time together, you share your dreams, you share your concerns, you pray for each other. That's why you know each other so well. And that's how we know God. So it's very simple. Spending time with God. Reading the scripture. That's where God speaks to us. Praying to God. That's how we talk to Him. Through prayer and scripture reading... We know more about God. He reveals Himself more. And then 
As we talk to Him, He helps us to grow, and our relationship with Him gets stronger, and our faith gets deeper, and we know Him better, and then we obey Him more. And our life starts to look like the life of Jesus Christ. We start to have the mind of God. We start to act like the Lord. Uh, in fact, I know a few years ago was that uh, Christian commun- uh, com- the Christian craze of having the bracelet, what would Jesus do? WWJD. I know it was kind of a gimmick, but the truth behind it is real. What would Jesus do? As we get closer to God, our life looks more like His. And in fact, this is how we are told that we can know that we know God better. And John tells us this in 1 John. He says very simply, very clearly, this is how we know that we know Him. Good, that's what I want to know. How do I know that? Notice he says, if we keep His commands... The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You see, it's all right there. If we are close to God and we know him, we will obey Him. And the very last phrase of that verse tells us, we will walk as Jesus walked. Our life will look like His. So Paul's prayer for the Ephesians at its essence was this, that they would know God better. He wants them to know three specific things about God, and he shares them next in the rest of his prayer. The first one is he wants the Ephesians to know the hope of their calling. Paul prays this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What Paul is saying is this, and he's mentioned this in the first verses of his letter, that we have been chosen by God, we have been called to salvation, we have been called out of a life of sin, We have been called to live with purpose for the Lord. And we have this hope that what God has started in our life, He will complete it when we pass or when He comes for us and we spend eternity with Him. Because of this calling, we have hope in this life every day and hope for life forever with the Lord. Paul wants the Ephesians and for us to know that. What a wonderful message in this time of uncertainty. There is hope because we have been called by God. As Paul had said earlier in Ephesians, God has a plan. God's will is being done and His plan has been carried out. So because God has a plan and a will, His plan is being carried out and it includes us and our future in heaven, we can have hope no matter what the circumstances are. Paul wants us to know that. The other thing Paul specifically prays in knowing God is knowing the wealth of his glorious inheritance. Here's the verse of the rest of verse 18. Let me read the the whole verse. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, earlier in his letter, Paul talked about our inheritance. And I've just talked about that. Our inheritance is an eternity with God. Here, Paul's talking about God's inheritance. And who, what is God's inheritance? It's us. This is what is so amazing. We often think about how much we want to be in heaven. And often the reason we long for that is we long for loved ones who have passed before us. We long for a perfect place. We long for a place with no tears, sorrow, suffering, or death. But have you ever thought about it that God is longing for us to be there with Him? In fact, He says that His inheritance what he will have for eternity, what he is looking forward to, is us. That gives us great value. Think of all of God's creation. And it was his desire that we and he would spend eternity together. Not the animals, not the trees, not all the stars, all the galaxies that God has made. He made those things and he could make, keep making them as long as he wanted, in whatever way he wanted. But he made us with great value, and especially so that we could spend eternity with him. In these difficult times, when we get discouraged, or in any difficult time, when you get discouraged, think about the value God has on you, that he considers you his treasure. We think of God as being rich, because he has everything. The most important thing is prized possession, so to speak, is us. What value we have. The third thing that Paul wants the Ephesians and us to know about God is the immeasurable greatness of His power. Here's Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength? I want you to listen to the words, immeasurable greatness. So this power is just not uh, battery power. <laughs> it's not electrical power. This is immeasurable, great power. Also, listen to where this power is going to. It's going towards us who believe. But Paul wants to tell us more about this power. He keeps uh, writing in verses 20 through 22 to tell us what this power is like. He says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This is the power that's immeasurable, the power that is working in us. Did you hear what this power has done? This power is how Jesus was raised from the dead. That's powerful. To raise the dead, to conquer death, this is the power that's working in our lives. But more than raising Jesus from the dead, as we said a few weeks ago, there's been others who've been raised from the dead. 
But Jesus was raised from the dead. He conquered death. And then He was seated at the right hand of the Father, exalted to the highest place. Above every name, above every kingdom, above every being, this power is what exalted Jesus and also subjected in submission everything in creation to Him. That is the power. That's the immeasurable great power. Uh, This power also exalted Christ to the head of His body, the church. This is the power, brothers and sisters, that's working in you. Don't we feel at times that we're powerless? Powerless to stop the circumstances in our life? Powerless to change our life? Uh, Powerless to overcome? But the truth is you are not powerless. And as you see here, this young superhero... He is exclaiming that as he raises his arm and dons his cape that he is not powerless. It's almost humorous to see this child, isn't it? Because when you think about a child, and if you're an adult, especially a large adult, you could take that kid in an arm wrestling contest. If you had to, you could throw him across the room. You know, if he tried to, uh, to get at you, you could just stick your hand out and keep it at arm's length. You might think, what what kind of power does he have? Uh, Is he faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap a building in a single bound? You say, well, no, he can't do that. But think about this. What if his uh, father had a, a rocket car and put his son in it and his father did drive faster than a speeding bullet? That little kid would be faster than a speeding bullet. And what if that dad was able to have a locomotive and powerfully crash through a wall? That little boy would be more powerful than a locomotive. And if that dad had a pilot's license, he took his plane up into the sky and up over a building, then that little boy would go over that building in a single bound. You see, the difference is it's the father It's the power and the strength that's in Him. And so when you hear these words, you are not powerless. I don't want you to hear some poster that's motivation. I don't want you to hear some psycho babble because the power doesn't come from within us. The power comes from our powerful Father who raised Jesus from the dead, exalted Him on high, and made Him head of the church. That's where the power comes from. And with God's power working in us, we are not hopeless and we can change and God can change our circumstances. So especially uh, meditate on this truth in these times when we are a disabled church. We're not powerless. The Lord is still working through us and the Lord is working in your life. Never feel like sin has its grip on you that you can't escape. Never feel like your circumstances are so overwhelming that uh, you have to succumb to the pressure. The power of God is in your life and He can change and He can do the impossible. That is the power of God in our life. Since we are a disabled church, things have to be done differently 
But we have this hope in Paul's prayer that we have hope and that we have the power of Christ and that as we know God better, we will have a closer relationship to Him and living life will be more amazing. I want to share a few last things with you as you think about us doing church in a different way. This time, certainly pray. That's what Paul is doing for the Ephesians. I encourage you, in fact, to take this prayer and to pray it and to pray it often for you to know God better, for our church to know God better, and for us to know who our head is, Jesus Christ. Also be patient this time. I know how it is when there's a cast on a leg. The doctor says it's going to be four or six weeks well, that sounds okay. And then week one, week two, week three, the cast gets heavier and heavier. It gets itchier and itchier. And you feel better and better except for this big cast on your leg. And if you want it off, you have to be patient. I know we want to be back together now. And I, I know we want to do things, reaching out to our community and telling people about the gospel of Christ. We have to be patient right now. In time, it will come. Be patient with each other. Be patient with uh, myself and Pastor Brady and the church leaders. Uh, maybe uh, this is all new to us. It's new to you. So we need to be patient with each other. Determine in your life to know God better. Through reading your Bible, praying. Be closer to God so that God can change you into the image of His Son. And of course... Follow Jesus, who is the head of the church. When we are disoriented, we look to the head. Jesus will lead us. He will guide us. And the Lord was not taken by surprise by this virus. He knows the future, and He knows the great future He has for us. So brothers and sisters, we as a church, you as an individual, look to our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we serve Him disabled, we still serve Him with joy, serve Him with faithfulness, and we serve Him with hope that one day the cast is coming off and we're going back to serving the Lord in spectacular ways. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we are thankful thankful for your presence in our life and that you are a God who wants to know us. I pray, Lord, that we would have a deep commitment every day to know you better. And through that, Lord, I pray that our faith is stronger, our life is lived in victory, our, our life looks more like you, Jesus, and that we are able to do your work as a church in new and exciting ways. Father, I pray for anyone today who's discouraged, someone who's without hope. I pray that, that they have heard these words and are encouraged and know they are not powerless. Father, I pray now that as we sing and as we respond to what you have spoken to us, I pray, Lord, that we would say yes to you, that, Lord, we would not leave our couch or our chair, wherever we are watching and listening. We would not leave it until we are right with you.
And until, Lord, we are ready to be obedient in what you call us to do. And I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.